0: Fast Money starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site, overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, Facebook, Sheryl Sandberg speaking out in an exclusive interview with CNBC about the challenges the social network faces. We will bring you those comments. Uh, But is redemption a reality for the tech giant? The former CEO of Apple, John Scully, joins us to sound off on the scandal and weigh in on the big tech wreck. But first, we start off with the market sell-off. The Dow getting crushed today, sinking more than. 700 points closing near the lows of the session, now in correction territory. The S&P 500 joining the Dow, both lower for the year. And it's a myriad of issues unhinging this market. President Trump announcing tariffs targeting China. Big tech stocks getting slammed as Facebook remains under fire. And tech's market leadership slips more chaos as well at the White House as a top lawyer for Trump and the Mueller probe resigns. So with the market sell-off accelerating today, are we heading right back to those February lows? How bad could things get? Guy Dami, what do you say?
1: It feels that way. And last Wednesday, you know, the, the lead of the show was, are we now in a sell the rally mode? And and Pete said absolutely. And Pete's been steadfast bull. So for Pete to say that, you know something's wrong. Karen said this was the most concern she's been in quite some time. She was getting long volatility, so it's playing itself out. I thought the most disappointing thing about today, and maybe I'm incorrect, but about one o'clock, the market was starting to turn to the upside. Now, last six to nine months, that turn would have accelerated to the upside. Obviously, that didn't happen today. So something has fundamentally changed. I do think we test that February low. I think the low was 25.31 or thereabouts in the S&P, and it probably happens, in my opinion, by the middle of next week.
0: What really did change? Because the Fed, Jay Powell came out. He did just fine, according to most accounts out there, right? The hey, tariffs were, were announced. And they're pretty much in line with what we had expected in terms of the size. We still don't know the exact products, et cetera. We didn't expect to know that either. So what what is different today?
2: I think you had to digest all of the above instead of just w- one of the above. And to your point on, on the tariffs... It was was pretty impressive how the market rallied, actually, as soon as that news conference came out. The market got a chance to digest it a little bit and said, you know what, all right, maybe it's not going to be that bad. Maybe we'll just push them a little bit higher here. Then you started to break technical levels, huge levels. On the way down, there was no sense of urgency to rush in there and buy them. You still have Facebook playing out. You still have the whole tariff thing, the whole China thing, the whole valuation thing. But I think, ultimately, global growth still intact, tax reform, still intact, you're going to get an infrastructure bill, still intact. There's a lot of reasons to be buy-the-dip buyers. We just have are not seen the dip them. Are you a buy-the-dip buyer? Were you buying yeah, the I, Dow dip? Well, well, I'm still long, 99.9% of my portfolio, right. so yes, I'm so buying the dip, buy. but I bought Facebook yesterday, so yes.
3: Well, well the irony of the 10-year possibly breaking 280 and that actually being something that got the market upset again, I mean, this is where we are. And so back to Mr. Powell, um, the market clearly doesn't believe Mr. Powell when he upgraded the dynamics for t- 19 and 20, or the market understands that right before us are other issues. The other significant thing about why markets aren't moving higher or why they can't get back on their feet with a lot of things that I think a couple months ago, for example, the China news would have been significant, but it would not have had this kind of an impact. But let's face it, think about where allocations are. Think about where you finally got retail money that's capitulated. Think about the moves that ETFs do when you start to see selling across a lot of different stocks. High-quality stuff gets kicked out of bed too. I think the White House announcement today is another announcement that gives people some sense that this administration still has issues that it's concerned about. But more importantly, I I just think with all the success that they've had in terms of the tax bill and some other uh, policy initiatives, frankly, that were campaign promises, I I hear some hubris right now that tells me we're going to do what we want to do and we're not going to listen to the market and we're going to do what we want to do because we think we're going to get it done and we've already proven we're right. You were not
0: reassured reassured by Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross today on CNBC. You know, Um,
4: I I would say this. The answer to that is I still think there's too many unknowns. I mean, uh Steve, you point out all the facts that we already know, right? I mean, and all of those I think are true. You're right. But the problem is now we have the unknown. We went through the Fed. Now we've got Jay Powell. I think he did a great job yesterday of presenting what they think right now as a group. But – After that, we move to the next thing, and the next thing is tariffs. And and there's still so many unknowns. Exactly how much of an impact this is going to be and where. I mean, that is something where I think the market gets very, very uncomfortable, and that's why I think we saw such a cascade to the downside. We got that little bit of a rally, but that wasn't believable, and then suddenly that unknown became even a bigger question mark, and because of that, the selling came in. But when you look at it, all
2: the analysis that I saw today on GDP, and everyone saw the same analysis, When you look at the tariffs, they said it could be a 0.1% effect to China GDP. And the retaliation, I know this is all unknowns, and they're not in the market until they're in the market but we're looking at 0.1% to us in a retaliatory measure so i don't i don't think this is a real reason there are to be a lot that. of assumptions of baked all. into
0: that 0.1% namely that there aren't going to be retaliatory measures that knock off more than 0.1 Well we saw the
2: tariffs on aluminum and steel it was supposed to be 37 million tons it got watered down to 17 million tons.
3: By the way, this is going to be a watered-down event. I hope it's a watered-down event, but I think people are shooting first. It's it's, it's not a watered-down event in terms of the, the dominoes that could fall. And when you think about, again, the technology that's actually and the components that are built in China and, and the interrelationship from a technology perspective, I think, look, there's nothing wrong with pushing back on intellectual property rights in this country. This has been a big issue for a long time. So um, I am... Happy to hear that. Um, U.S. Steel, by the way, is down 30% since you had the tape, tell you that they were actually going to invoke the steel tariff. So what is this We do? Get more What steel is the implication from, from, from
2: that? that? That's the problem is they did the carve-out, and it was pointless because we wound up getting more steel. The floods of the market. The market was looking for 37 million tons, and they got 17 because we get more steel from Canada what's, and Mexico. Sorry, what, the problem. Your,
3: your point is that the, the, t- is the that tariffs the don't s- work?
2: T- the tariffs, if you carve out, don't work. No, they do, they do well, not. Well,
0: that's what's happening with steel. Is that your point? Well, they, that there are so many exemptions to the steel my, tariffs, that now the stocks are reflecting as if... Nothing but I,
3: I am a globalist, you know, whatever people want to make behind closed doors, and I actually think that in an efficient market, uh, steel companies were doing very well in this country operating at 90 percent capacity with a global market for steel.
5: There
1: are other things going on as well. And I don't want to get too in the weeds with this, but you look at a bank, Deutsche Bank. If Deutsche Bank was a U.S. bank, we'd be talking about it every day on the network, probably nonstop. stock made a 52-week low today. It has not performed on what been so recently, a pretty decent tape, along with other European banks. You have to ask yourself, what's going on with Deutsche Bank? It is going to start making its way into the mainstream. I actually think Wilford talked about it either yesterday morning to today. But here's the stock down 4% today. Again, 52-week low. It's a whole LIBOR story, but I think it's much more than that. It's
0: a LIBOR story, and it, it brings up this notion about the rise in short-term borrowing and what sorts of impact that could have, even not beyond Deutsche Bank, but here in the United States as well.
3: Well, good for Guy for bringing this up. He's been talking about it for a while, and Deutsche Bank's now down almost 30% in 40 days. Uh, LIBOR, whatever you want to say, the short end of the curve, which most revolving credit is tied to, is moving up, folks. It's moved up 100 basis points over here. It's going to move even more. So I I do think that there's sensitivities to that. I think the European banking sector, so I need to stand out there and say, I've been saying I think European banks still look very good. What's shocking over the last, um, call it 450 minutes, since that Fed meeting came out and since we traded all day today, you're down 5% 5% on U.S. financials, 5% on the ones that actually should be levered to the new economy, on the ones that have less regulation. And with a, a yield curve, by the way, who cares about flattening? I just said they're more profitable because there's a short end.
0: Uh, for more on today's market sell-off, let's bring in the man who moves markets, Marko Kalanovich, the global head of derivatives and quantitative strategy at J.P. Morgan. Marko, great to have you with us again. Thank you. are um, generally constructed the markets. I mean, you've got a 3,000 target on the S&P 500. Has anything changed today? Does it? Does today make you take a pause here?
6: Uh, no. So today was an ugly day. It, it was a disappointing day. We were expecting market to go up after the Fed. So yesterday's Fed, we saw it as a positive for equities. Market reaction first 20, 22 minutes was actually in that direction, was going up. Um, uh, so we were thinking actually after yesterday's uh, close in the red that we'll, we'll basically go up today. Didn't happen. We had overnight sell-off between 2 and 3 a.m. If you look at the U.S. future, for some reason, they, they go down, smack down pretty hard in the nighttime hours, uh, and that kind of spillover over in the morning, uh, in U.S. hours. We broke through 100-day moving day average. So I think some of these technical sellers, like CTAs, probably had to start selling along the way. Obviously, there was a, there was a sort of announcement on, on tariffs, and so some people did not want to really step ahead of that. Once when the announcement came, market rally, and then sort of we rolled over, and then we accelerated, and I think dealers were short, gamma on the downside with put options, you basically sliced through the put options, try to stop losses, and it was just very... Disappointing day. So, 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 that certainly is is not a positive development. But we think nothing fundamentally has changed. You know, so we are uh, ahead of us is a very strong earnings season in April. Uh, global growth is decent. It's strong. You know, we think sort of you know second, third derivatives of growth. I don't think it matters as much. It's 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 solid and it's consistent across different regions. Um, and basically in February we had quite a bit of de-risking already in February. You know, so when we look at the beta of hedge funds. When we look at where the systematic strategies are in terms of their leverage and uh, basically it's much lower than in january right like so positioning is better valuations now in 2019 earnings are 15 and a half you know so we don't think that's a sort of uh, expensive, right. so we stick to our price target of three thousand, and we think we recover probably during earnings. But season.
0: basically, accelerated sell-off into the close. You think that's mainly
6: technical? So, I, mean, that's I think it's it entirely high. technical. <laughs> of yeah. course, there was like a little bit of a buyer strike. I think people were like taken taken a, 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 a back by the by, by the sort of a sell-off. But basically, when we kind of estimate, you know, flows from systematic investors, from gamma hedging, from options, I think it explains all of it.
0: In terms of fundamentals, you said you don't think much has changed. So concerns <laughs> about trade, they have not heightened. Because earlier so, in the agreement, so, yeah. you said that not much has changed really since January. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It hasn't changed? You don't think no, that the so, trade tariff, of, the of rhetoric course. has so, gotten worse? So we, a
6: lot of things has changed, right? Like So first, if you remember, in January, we had a very big fear of yields going to 3.5%. You know, It seems today we have a fear of yields going lower, right? <laughs> yeah. We had a fear of inflation. Then I think that was dispelled with some numbers. And even, we, even in fact, we had a fear of four hikes this year. That was dispelled as well. We now have a sort of a trade war fears. Um uh, you know, I you know, we try to estimate basis points of of growth, how much that can take, and it's it's a single digit basis points, which we are not even confident. So there is a lot of fear stories, you know, some come and go and a new one comes, and clearly sentiment is bad. You know, what I found find a little bit to be sort of now in minority of someone who is positive about this market. Mm-hmm. You know, seems that everybody is is very negative, and, and we are a little bit always on the on contrarian side. So we think that a lot of these stories came, a lot of, you know, the, the, we, we don't think sort of that we'll have a, a trade war to such extent that is it's going to destabilize global economy and, and equity markets. So... I think it's a, it's a bit of a sort of a noise that will pass as well.
0: So the selling in the afternoon was fueled by technicals. Technically speaking, is there anything that fuels us higher tomorrow or in the coming so days? It,
6: it could be just that, which, what, what, what technical selling. You know, technical selling is usually what we call temporary price impact. Yeah. You know, it pushes market out of equilibrium. You know, buyers, they don't, they don't manage to, to assess proper situation. And, and this type of technical sell, they tend to mean revert. So, so we'll see. We, we think that may happen tomorrow as well. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and we certainly think that market will revert by sort of earnings season in April.
0: But basically, is, the bottom line here is that you would you would be a buyer of the market. I would you be a buyer. You know, 3, look, we, we
6: said that we said that February eight. We said that after that, we're still above our February eight calls. Clearly, it was it was a tough call. There's a lot of volatility, yeah. ups and downs. So it's it's not an easy call, but we're still sticking to it.
0: All right, Marco, thank you, Marco Kalanovic, J.P. Morgan.
3: Uh, what did you do today? I didn't do anything. I, I tell you what, it was it was tempting to see a lot of technical levels break and do something, and, and I didn't because I do think that there's a bit of an overreaction. I, I will say this, and congrats to Marco and his team because there's been a lot of tactical twists and turns in the road here, and they pretty much navigated every one of them. What I will say is, back when we had the first drawdown, wanted to t- everybody wanted to tie this up in a neat little ribbon, uh, and you can't do that. So I think we have more volatility ahead.
1: It's interesting, you know, the steel sector. The tailwinds for the steel sector were tremendous until the news of the tariffs came out. Now, full disclosure, I thought that would be continued, the tailwind that the stocks were seeing. I was dead wrong. I mean, U.S. deals probably down 20% since you first heard uh, news about tariffs. But again, that sector, to me, is way too cheap. I mean, nothing has
2: fundamentally changed. The only thing that's changed is this now headline risk. I I was looking, we had a, a technician on the desk last night, and I said I was looking for one more swoosh to the downside, and I do believe that this is that swoosh. I hope it holds. I did a lot of technical work today. If it holds, then this is going to be a tremendous buying opportunity, and then we shoot up from here. But you are holding, home on, to builders, home you're builders were holding on to green. You're not buying green. No, I, I bought tech yesterday, but okay. home builders, which I'm still long, were holding, holding on to green most of the day. And they, it was surprising. They, on that last whoosh down, they actually went red. Now,
3: just simply, is, is it 24.50, which is the summer kind of low, or is it 25.60, which is really the next level down?
2: 25, well, if you look at the 200-day moving average right now, it's a descending average, so it's 25.83. Is the, but if you go back to the February lows, then it's 25.32. But I think the 200-day would be enough for the market to You know, to Marco test.
4: talked about the technicals, and obviously that was part of what we saw today, the cascade at the very end of the yeah. day. The final two hours, we dropped a couple hundred points. The one trade I did actually execute on today, I've been waiting, looking, around waiting for the opportunity to get back in Home Depot I think it's been sold off enough from the highs that it's a great opportunity here and they've got growth
0: all right Coming up, Nike soaring after reporting earnings. The CEO addressing the two recent executive departures. We'll bring you those comments. Plus, the Facebook C-suite on the apology tour. Sheryl Sandberg speaking to CNBC moments ago. Former Apple CEO John Scully is here to weigh in on the Facebook fallout and what the loss of tech leadership means for this market. And later, as stocks get slammed, the Dow is in correction, in a correction, and the S&P slipping towards a correction. Steve Gross will break down the key levels to watch. You're watching Fast Money Live from Times Square in New York City. We've got much more Fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Facebook COO Sheryl Sandberg breaking her silence for the first time since the Facebook privacy scandal. Sitting down in an exclusive interview with CNBC's Julia Borson moments ago. Julia joins us now with the highlights. Hi, Julia.
7: Melissa, that's right. Sheryl Sandberg weighing in on this data privacy scandal that's drawn concern from Facebook users, Facebook investors, regulators as well now as advertisers as well, Sandberg saying that the business model of Facebook does not fundamentally put user data at risk.
8: We provide a free service, and that's an ad-based business model. And in order to do that, we do not sell your data. We are able to show targeted advertising that's relevant to people. We're able to give advertisers aggregate anonymous reports, never telling them who you are. We believe that we can operate our service with our current business model, continue to provide a free service all around the world, and protect people's data, but we are going to have to earn that trust.
7: I asked Sandberg if there are other shoes left to drop, and she did not promise that this will never happen again.
8: We have a big platform. We have billions of people who use the service. And that means there are always going to be people trying to do bad. And it means we're going to have to react quickly. It also means there's a lot of good done on that platform. Now, that good depends upon trust and depends upon us earning it. So at this critical moment, we know that we need to establish trust. We're not going to say that we are not going to have issues. We know that there will always be bad actors on our platform. but. We are going to work as quickly as we can to prevent those problems, to disclose those problems, and to prevent anything going and forward. There...
7: Sandberg saying she and Mark Zuckerberg have laid out strong steps to prevent this from ever happening again. She does say, though, that she wishes that she and Zuckerberg had weighed in earlier on this issue. Guys, back over to you.
0: Julia, one one more question. She seemed in the interview to say that they were willing to spend anything that it took to protect consumer the consumer experience, to protect their data. And from an investor standpoint, that sounds like an increase in CapEx that's not accounted for in in guidance.
7: So if you remember, Melissa, in the last earnings call, Mark Zuckerberg laid out how they're hiring more people, and he explicitly warned that they're spending more on security and it will impact profitability, but they think it'll pay off in the long run. I asked her if they're going to be spending even more than that, and she said, yes, we're going to be spending more than we've already laid out we're investing in security and to make sure that our, our customers' data, our users' data is safe. So it's unclear how much more that will impact capital expenditures, but it sounds like they're going to be spending even more than we already knew about um, to try to maintain the safety and security of the platform.
0: All right. Julia, thank you. Julia Borston with that exclusive with Cheryl Sandberg. And moments ago, Steve Bannon, the former vice president of Cambridge Analytica and a former Trump advisor, addressing the scandal moments ago. Take a listen.
4: And that's how Facebook, that's how they take your stuff for free. They, they sell it and monetize it for huge margins. That's why the companies trade for such high valuations. Then they write algorithms and control your life. Yes. And yet when Zuckerberg comes, he, he sounds like a, a first-year associate, hired in corporate development, mumbles through the whole interview, and nobody asks him a tough follow-on question.
0: Harsh words there for Zuckerberg. Uh, so it seems like maybe the fallout for Facebook is far from over. There seems to be a lot more questions here, Pete. Um, that are still unanswered even sure. after two executives came out and did extensive interviews.
4: Yeah, they did extensive interviews, but were they hard-hitting interviews? Did they get asked all the questions? I think in, when he actually, Zuckerberg, that is, he said he would. Would he, Will he actually get in front of, you and I were talking about, the Energy and Commerce Commission. Will he get in front of them and testify? I mean, I think there's a lot of things. One of the things that stood out for me just now listening to Cheryl was she talked about we got to earn the trust back. That's for sure, because people have lost confidence right now. It doesn't mean everybody's going to delete a Facebook account, however which I think is the the first read that people have is, well, everybody's oh, going right. to delete. It doesn't, everybody's even, it doesn't have to go
0: for, as far as deleting. It can be go as far as less engagement with the site or, or sure. not sharing as much data with the site, which right. may make what they're able to do with targeted ads less robust. Gathering so, data.
3: No data. Right. Yeah. To, to And essentially deploying that data to target ads. Hyper-targeted ads, by the way. I mean, I think this is the big thing. It's interesting how, uh, again, Sheryl Sandberg talked about, well, we offer a free service, and Steve Bannon pointed out it's really yeah. the opposite. Um, they, they should be paying you, you're giving them everything that they need, and I'll just go back to a simple point: uh, whether it's Facebook or whether it's another big tech firm whose core asset is data or software or something like it, how is management responding? This was a two, terrible. Two, but to cyber <laughs> risk, and I, people have asked me, "What do you mean cyber risk?" This was a data breach. I mean, bottom line is, it, whether they—that's a great any, point that you so, so, so all pe- of them have the same People need issue. to understand better how their management teams are operating in this space. And that's
2: why all of them are trading as one big group. You overlay Amazon, you overlay any of the big large-cap tech, all the charts look identical. So is everyone going to flee out of large-cap tech? No, I do not believe so. I think this is going to be a buying opportunity. You can't tell me NVIDIA, you can't tell me Netflix are going to have the same exact risk, and the charts look the same. So... I think it's a buying opportunity for those names.
1: Well, Mr. Bannon talks about big valuations. Facebook doesn't trade at a particularly big valuation. They probably trade close to 20 times forward earnings-ish, and they probably grow at 22, 23 times earnings. So it's not a big valuation, number one. Number two, you know what you're getting yourself into when you sign up for it, or at least you should because it's right there. Number three, and I hear what Pete is saying, but I think it's easier to mine Bitcoin than it is to delete your account from Facebook. Not that I've done either, by the way. So, look, the headline risk is clearly still there. I'm agreeing with these guys. I don't think they got in front of it nearly as quickly as they should. But Zuckerberg talked about a spend six months ago yep. on the back of sim- not similar, but tangential stuff that we're talking about now. So it's not like that's a huge unknown. I think in valuation it's fair, but you still have headline risk.
0: All right, for more on the Facebook Fallout, let's bring in John Scully, former Apple CEO and co founder of Zeta Global, who joins us now from West Palm Beach, Florida. John, always great to speak with you. Thank you. Um, do you think that this is a sort of situation where Facebook will be able, will be able to convince? Uh, Congress people, regulators, that they can self police? Or is this the opportunity that lawmakers have been waiting for to actually impose regulation on this industry?
9: I think what is not clearly understood is that Facebook is really two businesses. The first business is the one that Gerald Sandberg talked about, and that's the business of a platform. It's highly personalized, it's a community. The community trust is obviously key and it's on a scale like no other company in the world. It's a beautiful business model for selling ads. But the other Facebook, the one we don't love, the one that we fear, is the media company. It's a media company with no reporters, it's got no journalists, but it's a media company that uses computational uh, analytics, which are really computational propaganda. And it's not something that Facebook wants to have happen, but it's the ability for people like Cambridge Analytics, and there are probably others out there who can go in and take that data and they can manipulate public opinion. And we've seen it all over the world as tribalism breaks out across the the Mm -hmm. political environment. And that's one which I think is a solvable problem. These are smart people at Facebook. And I think it's all about machine learning. I think it's about learning how to get control of that computational data so that you can be able to prevent Maybe it's with curators. They've hired thousands of people to go in and curate the media. But I think it's a solvable problem, but it's going to take some time.
2: John, if the worry is advertisers are going to go somewhere else, they can't afford to go somewhere else. There's only a few and and probably two places they can go and get the, the bang for their buck in advertising. Is that an unwarranted worry to worry about advertisers leaving and fleeing Facebook in a permanent way?
9: No, uh, I completely agree with you. Facebook is a machine like nothing else there ever has been created from an advertising standpoint. I'm very positive that uh, Facebook will be extremely successful over the long term. Yes, they've got some issues to deal with. Maybe they could have done uh, a better job of handling these issues. But the reality is, this is an amazing company. There is nowhere else to go. Maybe Google uh, with, with YouTube. But between those two companies, they dominate, you know, well over 95 percent of the growth of the interactive ad market.
3: Hey, John, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Ultimately, I'm concerned about shining a bright light on players who, again, as I mentioned earlier, have data as their core product or use algos, computational analytics, as you said. Who's next? Or, Or how do we as investors evaluate those companies that are doing a good job or those that are doing a poor job?
9: Well, I think we've got to pay attention to what's going on in the EU. Uh, They put in something which is called the General Data uh, Protection Act. And uh, what that's all about is that they're starting to go in and say, wait a minute, uh, we need to have a lot more control over people owning their own data. It isn't that companies can can take this data with a a simple opt-in. So we've got to pay attention, I think, to what's going on in Europe, because they've been working at this for about five years in a very Byzantine way of making decisions, as as they do over there. But the reality is they're further along in terms of the regulatory path of looking at big data than we are here in the States. Maybe some of that is going to eventually carry over to us, too.
0: John, great to speak with you. Thanks for your time.
4: Thank
9: you, Melissa.
0: John Scully, the former Apple CEO. Pete Najarian, how are you feeling about your Facebook investment that you made yesterday? You know, the good news is
4: I put on calls, and, yes. I'm, and I have time. They're out to May, so I, I'm, I'm being a little bit patient. But, um, you know, I think the good news is also is Cheryl's been in front of somebody. Now Marcus has been in front of somebody. They're late. I think that's a problem. I think that's going to actually push that stock around a little bit. There's going to be some highs and lows. Stock's virtually around the levels, a little bit lower than where I got in with the call. So... We'll see how this plays out, but I think over time Facebook is not going away. Sorry, where do you care?
3: Where's your strike? Or do you mind talking? I'm a 175s? 175. Yep. All
0: right. How are you feeling? I, I you oh, same as I would say you just heard it. Any You just heard it. same from as from Mr. All right.
3: That's you cute, that's Steve. It, right? Do you like very that? cute. Yeah. I just heard
2: it from Mr. Scully. There's only a couple of places you can go and get that real behemoth. Uh, input and output from your ad dollars. I think this is a stock that's not going anywhere. I, is the worst over? I don't know, but if you're sitting at home, 161.95 was the recent low. If you don't have a uh, steel stomach, then get out of it.
0: Uh, how do we trade this guy, in your opinion?
2: Well, we talked about it. What's
1: today? Thursday, Tuesday. You know, we had a huge volume day, traded at 130 million shares. That's about five times normal volume. It pegged down to Steve's low. We actually didn't breach it today. So, you know, Pete's calls are probably going to come into play. Uh, Valuation we'll is reasonable. <laughs> I, you know, listen, this too, not like advertisers are fleeing. And as much as people say I'm going to delete Facebook, guess what? It's it's become such an addictive thing that nobody's going nobody's going anywhere. Everybody's settled down.
0: Coming up, both the Dow and S&P getting slammed today, breaching a number of key technical levels. Steve Gross will break down the most important chart you need to see today. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, First in Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming
8: up on
4: Fast. This stock has more than doubled in the past year, and one of the traders says it's about to rip even higher. There's much more Fast Money right after this. Tim
0: a sell-off on Wall Street as the Dow enters a correction, and now more than half of the S&P sectors sit 10% or more off their recent highs. Let's get down to Bob Pisani at the NYSE with the details. Hi, Bob.
10: Correction everywhere. Dow is 9.99% off its all-time high at the end of January. We're very accurate here. This is the second time this year we've entered correction territory. 10% off recent highs, that's a correction, but we're still 600 points above that February 9th low. The blue chip index is the only major index in correction right now, but there are plenty of sectors that have entered correction territory. I'm talking the S&P. Energy stocks have been in correction for over a month, 14 percent off the January highs. Consumer staples, utilities, telecom, healthcare, materials, all also down more than 10 percent from their recent highs. Now, there's currently 307 S&P 500 stocks in correction. That's about 60% of the S&P 500. A few of the biggest stocks currently in correction, Walmart, Wells Fargo, Exxon Mobil, Facebook, Home Depot, Boeing, Citigroup, Disney, and Alphabet Google. So what's the big issues here? We have trade war fears on the table. We have social media worries led by Facebook, which is in an existential crisis in general on social media. Other techs are faltering with no other leadership groups coming forward, and we have bond yields falling in a flight to safety. That's putting pressure on bank stocks. Finally, the Feds upgraded their economic projections and sent the message that Higher rates are coming down the road. This is a lot for the markets to digest, Melissa. And frankly, I can't wait to get out of March so we can get into earnings season, which are going to be stellar, or at least on the surface right now, in the next couple of weeks. Back to you.
0: All right, Bob, thank you. Bob Pisani, at the New York Stock (laughs) Exchange. Um, so, you know, Bob was talking about some of the stocks in correction territory. Home Depot was one of them. You bought that. So on your list, Tim, is there a list that you keep, you know, markets are down?
3: Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you right or now. First buy. of all, FedEx, J.P. Morgan are at the top of it. These are companies that I – not one here on this desk is ready to say that there's not great growth in the backdrop, uh, that there's market factors, there's obviously technical factors. You want to find – and the airlines. Um, so if you're worried about United, then own Delta. You own, own American. But those are those are three or four names that I think you absolutely need to have at the top of your list. I agree with Pete on Home Depot. Okay.
1: I agree. I mean, Federal Express, the quarter, if you look at the quarter, I thought it was pretty outstanding. Fantastic. The margins were not great, but I think if you look at the numbers overall, it's still a pretty cheap stock in comparison to like UPS. Stock's down $40 or so from its all-time high. So I think FedEx is there, Home Depot as well. But I also think the steel stocks, listen, the tailwinds for the steel sector did not go away overnight, in my opinion. The only thing that came into the conversation was this tariff conversation, which I do think will go away at a certain point.
0: Besides Home Depot, Pete. What are you looking
4: at? You know, I, I already own it, but I recently is Exxon ExxonMobil. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's been in correction. And they've not caught up. We were talking about that last night. We were talking about how energy and this disconnect, as oil's gone higher, the names really haven't been pulled up with them. I think sooner or later that's going to correct. And when we see that, I think Exxon, Chevron, take your pick. I think they go higher.
0: Well, Grosso here, you've got some uh, levels that you're watching. Why don't you head yeah. over to the plasma? Walk sure. Us
2: Love so, the plasma. So look at that. Yeah. So today, when you look at the market, you have to – Everyone walked in today and they thought it was going to be a down day. The market was getting tapped a little bit. And then the market started a rally and it was a head fake rally. So let's just look at some of the key levels. Let's start off through this prism. This is the all-time high, 28.72. This is the recent low, 25.32. So in here, you've got a lot of stuff to worry about. So let's, why don't we just key in on where we broke today? That was the 26, uh, basically it was 62. So that's a retracement between these two key levels. Once that faded, it opened the door back to this level. That's why the bottom dropped out. So between here and there, there's one other stop. It's 26.12. If you get that stop there, I'm gonna call this one a speed bump, it's a very light support. So it's not something to really hang your hat on. Tomorrow, when you walk in, if the market does not hold, I think we're going to recheck or try to recheck this level. The only problem is between this level and this level now, you have an ascending 200-day moving average that is located at 2584. This is the level that bears and bulls must know.
3: If we break this level, hide in the corner.
2: So, Oh, good,
3: Tim. I'm Steve, going. so ultimately, if, if the, is the S&P driving how you're looking at technicals for the market overall? Should possibly people focus on the triple Qs because that's really what's been leadership for the last six to eight weeks?
2: Well, I think the you can look at the large cap tech influence on the triple Qs. But for me, if the biggest worry that you have and a lot of people have is, is tariffs, then you got to look at the global index. And the global index is the S&P there's a lot of international exposure keen in on the S&P so great question good point
0: um, a lot of levels to watch, Gee, Are these the levels that you
2: were watching? Yeah, 25.85 is absolutely
1: the level. I mean, effectively, that's what we bounced off of. Like, what was it day? February 9th, all the days start to meld together. But that's where we bounced off that, that particular Friday. And that's where, in my opinion, we need to retest and need to bounce. And I think we will. I'm not saying I'm crazy bearish. I'm not. This is something we've said for the last couple of weeks. And the fact last week that we talked about being a sell the rally mode instead of buy the dip, lends itself to where we are now. It will become by the dip again, especially if we trade down there and bounce. Right.
0: Well, as the markets uh, sell off, some options traders are betting on even more pain ahead for the banks. Let's get out to Mike Cohen in Austin, Texas, to break it down for us. Mike, what are you looking at?
1: Yeah. So we were looking at XLF today. As I'm sure you all know, the financials were the worst performance sector in the S&P 500 today. And we saw more than five times the average daily put volume in XLF. And that was all the result of a single very large trade of almost 200,000 contracts. Somebody rolled out of a March 30-23 put spread that they owned almost 50,000 times and rolled down and out to the 29-23 put spread in April. So essentially, they're pressing a bearish bet and betting that it could persist possibly into next month. One thing I would point out, and this follows on what Marco had said, the fact that they are short those 23s does create some layer of support, because dealers are going to be net long that strike.
0: Um, and I know you're watching that action, and, yeah. uh, you know, banks are in a curious spot here because they, are. they would be hurt by a dinged economic growth because of any sort of trade war, and also we're watching yields go right. lower.
4: Yeah, as the yields dropped, obviously, that, that presses on the banks for sure because everybody's counting on the fact that they were going from 2.8 to 2.9 and maybe 3, yeah. and obviously we're watching it actually come back towards 2.8 again. So. If we, if, if we slow down, it's all about velocity to me, again. I mean, I use that word a lot when we're talking about certain areas of the marketplace, but whether it's volatility or it's the 10-year, it is about velocity. So if it's moving overly fast, and like it did recently, and it does that, that's tough on the banks. But I think still, the banks overall, valuations are there, growth is there. Obviously, they need that yield curve to help them out.
0: All right. Thanks, Mike. Mike Coe Love in that Austin, show, Texas. by the way, that he's
1: on. Yeah. What's it um, called there, Mike? Ma- options
0: Action, ah. that's what it's called. Check out the full show tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. <laughs> Eastern time. So ahead, two big after-hours movers. Nike soaring while Micron is sinking. The company conference calls underway right now. We'll hear the very latest from the C-suite. Plus, Dropbox gearing up for its big public debut tomorrow. It's been a tough couple of years for high-profile IPOs. But can Dropbox buck the trend? The traders will weigh in. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got some big earnings movers in the after hours and full team coverage. Courtney Reagan's all over Nike earnings. Josh Lipton is standing by with Micron. Josh, we'll come back to you in just a bit, but let's get to Courtney first on Nike. Hey, Courtney.
11: Hey there, Melissa. So Nike shares up about 6% or so after hours after beating on both the top and the bottom lines. Direct-to-consumer sales in international markets is really what drove the third quarter for the athletic wear maker. Greater China, the bright spot sales up 19% there year over year. Sales fell, though, 6% in North America, a drop in both footwear and equipment sales. Now on the call, Nike CEO says it expects its North American revenue to be roughly flat year over year in the current quarter, returning to growth in the first half of the fiscal year 2019. Also reiterating the previous forecast, CEO Mark Parker started off the call addressing the allegations of inappropriate workplace behavior that surfaced late last week. Take a listen.
4: We became aware of some behavioral issues that are inconsistent with Nike's values of inclusivity, respect, and empowerment. I'm committed to ensure that we have an environment where every Nike employee can have a positive experience and reach their full potential.
11: Parker also added, Trevor Edwards and I both agreed to a change in leadership structure in the Nike brand at this time, continuing to say Trevor will work with me as an advisor through this transition until he retires in August. Now, Parker hasn't given any further information about why it's time for a change in that leadership with Edwards, who was widely considered. Parker's heir apparent. Melissa Beck, over to you. All right.
0: Courtney, thank you. Courtney Reagan. On Nike, um, 5.5% is the gain in the after. Hours. Yeah,
3: love it. along the name, and I think the international story is what it's all about. They're still struggling somewhat in the U.S., but I, I think they're getting it. They're certainly getting that story back in order. I think there's great secular trends in the entire kind of app leisure space. I think DTC, there's a lot of white space for these guys. It's The question now is the, is the valuation, and on the charts, 69 bucks for Nike looks like it's going to be tough to get through.
0: Is this a, a trade war stock? Is this a stock oh, we should I, be
3: worried about I, if think, that, a trade I war? think
4: that would be something that would be a headwind for sure. Yeah. And I think, obviously, they're well aware of what's going on. And, you know, this was a pitch stock for me, and the reason I like this stock and the reason I'm not in it now is what Tim just brought up. Valuation starts to get pretty high once again for Nike. You're getting growth in the right area, which is China and obviously international, DTC, but... At valuation levels here, you start to wonder, can they continue to grow? You know what you don't get in trade war? Under Armour. Under Armour has outperformed right. Nike, and then you get
2: the tailwind of the tax reform, where Under Armour has a high 30s effective tax rate. Nike has sub-20 already, so I think you get boost, boost. Um, maybe Maybe it's another
12: outperformance for the next six months or so.
0: All right. Now let's get to Josh Lipton in San Francisco for more on the Micron earnings. Hi, Josh.
12: Melissa, very high expectations for Micron heading into this print. That stock was up more than 40% this year. You can see us giving that back in the after hours a bit. Sanjay Marotra, the company's CEO, going through the business divisions. Mobile business saw record revenue and profitability. His point being high-end smartphones are incorporating more AI, more VR. VR. That, he says, bodes well for the memory chip maker. Also saw 15% growth for computing and networking business. He gave a shout-out there a couple times to crypto. Uh, Microsoft uh, Micron also saw record revenue in the automotive market. DRAM uh, made up about 71% of total revenue in the quarter. It was up 14% sequentially. Companies saying they continue to see favorable industry fundamentals when it comes to DRAM. Uh, as for trade NAN, that represented about 25% of total revenue in the quarter. that was down 3% sequentially. Uh, Micron saying they're looking for the NAND market to be more ba- to have a more balanced industry uh, dynamic in 2018 versus the constrained dynamic. They saw in 2017. Also, there were questions on the call about these production issues they're having at one Taiwanese fab. They said that is going to potentially hit revenue by about 2 or 3 percent in the current quarter. They did factor that in, though, they said, to their guidance. They're calling for between 7.2 and 7.6 billion. The street was at 7.3 billion. Melissa, back to you.
0: All right, Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton on Micron MU. uh, Guy.
1: So DRAM revenue is up 76% year-over-year. NAND revenue up 28% year-over-year. Margins are now approaching, operating margins are approaching 50%, and they beat on revenue and EPS. Why is the stock down? Well, some of the things that Josh mentioned, one of the things he didn't mention is, you know, if we do get into some trade war, I'm not suggesting we are, but if the Chinese want to dump all this product on the market, guess what? The margins that are great right now won't be so great. I think that's what's concerning people. If you don't think there's going to be a trade war, and I don't, Micron is dead dead cheap here at these levels. It's interesting.
0: We see the move lower in the likes of a caterpillar and a Boeing, the typical sort of trade war stocks. Technology, I mean technology is going to hit he- anybody who makes hardware in particular It's going to be hit hard probably.
4: Yeah, that 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 is something sure. I think we we're all aware of that and that's what when we top of the show we talked about the unknowns. Those are the unknowns that are very very risky right now, but When you're looking at Micron and you see valuation at the levels where it is right now, it's not like Nike where all of a sudden it starts to feel a little more stretched. You look at Micron, you're still talking single digits in terms of what their valuation levels are right now with the kind of growth that they've got. So I think it has a little bit more of a cushion, comparatively speaking, to a lot of the competitors we talk about.
3: Yeah, Well, I think the the pricing effects or at least the trends in DRAM and NAND, are things that are going to keep it uh, well at least insulated from a lot of this. Let's be clear. They're getting their prices right now.
0: Coming up, Dropbox pricing its IPO moments ago. We'll find out if any of the traders will be buying this tech company on its public debut. We're live at the NASDAQ Market Side in New York City's Times Square. we got much more fast money right after this break. got a news alert on Dropbox pricing its IPO. Let's get to Leslie Picker in the newsroom for details. Hi, Leslie. Hey, Melissa,
5: that's right. Dropbox pricing its IPO at $21 a share above the range that it bumped up earlier in the week. That's according to a person familiar with the matter. That source told me the deal was 25 times oversubscribed. That means investors were submitting for allocations that were more than 25 times the amount that the company and insiders plan to offer in the deal. Now, such hearty demand might come as a surprise in today's plummeting market, but here's what brought investors in the door. First of all, a small float. Only nine percent of the company is being sold in the IPO. Small floats like this one tends to yield pops on the first day of trading. That alpha becomes more critical following a sell-off like we saw today. Additionally, Dropbox got a huge vote of confidence from Salesforce, which is buying $100 million through a private placement in addition to the $756 million IPO. Now, if you recall, Salesforce just made a huge acquisition this week, buying MuleSoft for $6.5 billion. So investors think buying Dropbox IPO could yield the same outcome. Although, my sources tell me a takeover by SoftBank or uh, uh, Salesforce or anyone else is unlikely to happen anytime soon. Also note, Dropbox's comp box actually gained in today's markets. Melissa. Hmm. Leslie, thank you. Leslie
0: Picker joining us from headquarters. a beacon of light in this market
6: malaise. I don't
3: know. I, it, it's going to be. It's going to need to be a, a proper lighthouse because I, I don't think <laughs> you know. With the market here, I bet they would have loved to have done this a couple weeks ago. I also hear you know nine percent free float. I, I also hear low liquidity. For I mean, this is a this is going to be an eight billion dollar company. You're going to have eight hundred million dollars of stock out there. Um, the bad news for private investors is this company was valued over ten billion billion four four years ago. So they've waited and waited and waited. I don't think it's a great market environment. We've had the discussion about some of these platforms that need to, you know, that why crypto is also a threat to these guys, decentralizing. Why do you need Dropbox? This is where the world might be going. I think it's going to be tough.
2: I think Leslie hit it. It's all about the float on a name like this. You're going to see a pop. It doesn't matter really what the market does tomorrow on the macro. When you have that low liquidity, to Tim's point, you're going to see a pop. So if you look at its comp box, that popped. But a a couple of months later, the stock was in dramatically. But having said that, in hindsight, that one is doing well now. So unless they think that's an M&A target or not, I go back to, I believe this one will pop on the opening. We'll probably sustain it with that light float. Who's that
1: guy that hates Oracle? <laughs> What's his name? Benioff, Benioff's right? Benioff. What Salesforce company does he guy. Salesforce. Yeah, CRM. You got the Salesforce seal of approval for this thing to the tune of about 150 oh, million dollars. Or do. the Salesforce need, need to stay in the ah, game. I mean, that's, that's Brian Kelly's point. I go the other way. Anyway, back to you, Melms.
0: So, Benioff, seal of approval.
1: <laughs> Dropbox,
4: goodbye to, to you. Yeah. All
0: right. Up next, final trades. Time for final trade
4: Pete earlier in the show you asked me what I was buying today only one stock it was Home Depot huge call buying in Lowe's Home Depot is a better
3: name giddy up. Tim Seymour. Yeah, earlier in the show, you were asking me, Mel, what I would buy, and I think I said FedEx. I think these last numbers, the TNT uh, acquisition, the accretion on the Ground Express, this is a great story. It's certainly the global story.
2: What did I ask you earlier in the show, Steve? (laughs)
3: You asked
2: me what we did today. Let me think back. Let me think back. How was it? Creskett, Creskett. Ready? Uh Pulte Homes. Nice! Wow, nice guy, buddy. Pulte 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 Homes. I didn't think you had it in you.
1: What is a home builder that has three letters? Nice! Well played. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Where are you flying to tonight, Pebbles? Where's Minneapolis. What's in Minneapolis? United Health, U.N.H. I'm U.N.H. Great. will get you done. Yeah, it will. Yeah.
0: I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks so much for good watching. Stuff. See you back here tomorrow at five for more fast money. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts right now.